0: Welcome back to React Native Radio Podcast Brought to you by Estimates Always wrong, never useful, always required Episode 194 React Native for Junior Developers with Becca Hey, everyone. Welcome to the React Native radio podcast, where we explore React Native together. I'm your host, founder and CTO of Infinite Red, Jamin Holmgren. I'm on the React Native core team and also primary maintainer of MobX State Tree. I'm joined today by my two marvelous co-hosts, Robin and Harris. Aditi is not here today, as well as our guest host, Becca, who I'll introduce in a second. Robin is a senior software engineer located in Portland, Oregon, at works at Infinite Red, specializing in React Native and podcasting. What's up, Robin?
1: Oh, not much, Jamin. Just uh, waking up still.
0: You and me both, (laughs) as evidenced by how many times I've had to redo this. (laughs) Harris is a coding instructor at Concordia Bootcamp in Montreal and a React Native contractor. I
2: would say where he lives, but as usual, it has changed recently. Where are you at now? I'm just back in Vancouver. It's nice. So same time zone as you guys, and waking up as well. So that's yeah. Vancouver's <laughs> awesome.
0: Uh, we were up there a couple of years ago. Actually, more in
2: Victoria area. I think that's a little a little west of you, right? Yeah, yeah. Vancouver Island. Yeah, it's beautiful. There. Yeah,
1: I'd love to go there once the you know the world opens up again.
0: It's such a beautiful city, and just like walkable and uh, like I took, we took a tour in one of those like horse-drawn open carriages around the city. It was just really fun. I highly recommended. It. It's I fell in love with the city. So so Becca is here today. Becca Harat Weigel. She is our guest panelist today. She is the creator and a podcast co-host of Virtual Coffee. Uh, she graduated from the Flatiron School Software Engineering Program in 2019, and she has also started a consultancy. Specializing in front-end development, what she's most w- well known for, I think, is the developer community called Virtual Coffee, which we will be talking about during this episode. Uh, you see her on Twitter, Slack groups, uh, speaking on podcasts, including, of course, this one. At conferences, she does all this while being a mom to her four kids. Prior to tech, she spent ten years teaching college English, three years organizing events in community. That actually shows a lot based on what you do, Becca, and embraces being a writer of many genres code nonfiction screenplay poetry curriculum and i wish she had written my uh script for this podcast because it would have gone a lot better than this <laughs> how are you doing becca
3: i am doing okay i am not waking up because i am in ohio so i am midday and ready to go
0: how is the future anyway uh, it's only a few hours but
3: it's nice and bright it's very very happy here
0: <laughs> i like it uh I wouldn't have thought of Ohio as a as a destination place, but now it sounds like one.
3: I mean, right that we have carriages and trolleys downtown, so you can come right around Steubenville if you want.
0: Nice, <laughs> sounds good, nice. Yeah, major uh, destination. Might have to stop by at some point. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Infinite Red. Infinite Red is a premier React Native design and development agency located fully remote in the USA and Canada. We have years of React Native experience. We've been doing it since it was released in 2015. We have deep roots in the React Native community. We also publish the React Native newsletter, do the Chain React conference when it's not a COVID year. We do all kinds of things. Of course, this this podcast. Hit us up, hello at infinite.red. You can email me directly, jamin at infinite.red. Learn more on our website, infinite.red slash React Native. Don't forget to mention that you heard about us through the React Native radio podcast. All right, let's get into our topic for today. So today's not an interview show, although Becca's here and we're going to be picking her brain as usual, but it is more of a roundtable discussion. And the topic is React Native for junior developers. Now, this could be for people new to the industry who would be traditionally called junior developers, or it could be someone who maybe is in some other technology who's just interested in coming into React Native. We're going to talk about both of those aspects. So I'm going to facilitate the panel discussion here. Uh, I, of course, was a junior at one point, and I have taught junior developers. That's when I started my business in 2005. I taught several developers to code way back then, and some of them are still with me uh, you know, to to this day. So that's kind of fun. I don't think but they're I'm,
1: juniors anymore, though.
0: They're not juniors anymore. No, they they, they they get a little hostile when I when I call them a junior developer. Uh, for some See, reason, Jamin,
1: are you sure you were ever a junior? I'm pretty sure you were born a senior developer.
0: Yes, uh, I was a junior developer at one point. Um, are you really going to uh, spur a, an old time discussion here, Oh, I Hurley? better not. That could yeah, take the whole not. podcast. I'll just say, I'll just say, my dad taught me my first bit of code which was, it wasn't really code, but it was like CD backslash games, you know, like we had a folder in in DOS called games.
1: And then you were a senior after that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I knew, I knew everything there was to know. Yeah, no, I was definitely a junior for, for many years. Um, but I, you know, obviously I coded anytime you kind of move into a new technology, you feel like a junior for a while. And so I, I've had my moments there too. And I I still do, really. Uh, That's why I love doing this podcast, because I learn every single time uh, more about this. So let me talk really quickly about where you all are coming from so that people listening to the podcast kind of have an understanding. Robin is a code school graduate, went to Epicotus in Portland, which is a great code school Mm -hmm. in in the Portland area. I've actually interacted with them before. I've even had interns from them uh, way back in the day. Harris is a code school instructor as well. As I mentioned in the intro Concordia boot camps uh, in Montreal, he just finished a cohort. A well, It was like two months ago or yeah. something like that. Becca is a code school graduate as well from Flatiron. Mm-hmm. That's I've heard really good things about Flatiron. And all of you are involved in instructing and courses and various other things uh, over time. So I think there's a, you bring a, a unique perspective
2: to this. I, sh- I just want to add, I also graduated from a code school. So Which one was it, Harris? Full Stack Academy in New York. Mm-hmm. I believe it's not It's not far from Flatterin.
3: I did the online boot camp. So oh, okay. they had campuses, various places, but I was doing it from my
0: couch. Oh, That's yeah. the
1: way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> tell
0: yeah. Yeah, I've had friends go to Lambda and and I've heard of people having good experiences with Flatiron and and all of these different boot boot camps. There are some boot camps that have had poor reputations, too. But I really liked seeing this explosion of boot camps because it makes it more accessible for people to come into the industry. It felt like when I was getting into the industry that the only real way to get into it was to go to school, uh, you know, and, and get a CS degree which is fine, you know, like it's still a valid way to go go about it, but it's it's quite expensive and it takes quite a while, four, four years usually. So this kind of just makes it more accessible to everybody. But let's talk about the challenges that junior developers face, specifically around React Native, because we are React Native Radio here. I'm going to start with, actually, Robin, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to pick on you to start with. <laughs> uh, what do you think are kind of some of the first things that when you were coming into the coding world in general, but then also React Native that felt like challenges to you?
1: Well, with React Native specifically, for one, I was coming from a platform, like a server background. And so I had never done any sort of UI programming and JSX kind of threw me for a loop. I was like, what is this? What am I writing? What is what is this language? Am I writing JavaScript? Is this like, am I writing React? Like, what what is this? So that threw me a little bit uh, until I sort of got used to it. And then also coming from this the ruby on rails world which is very i don't know what the best word is it's it's very like prescribed like there's yeah. generally a way a accepted way to do pretty much everything everyone uses active record for state management everyone uses devise for authentication like there's just mm-hmm. a way to do everything and you get into react native and it's pretty much the wild west and <laughs> you're trying to learn redux and or MobX Daytree or whatever and there's everyone seems to do it slightly differently or use a different tool it's just a little bit harder to learn like the one way
0: why do juniors look for the one way like what's sort of the mentality behind that
1: when there's too many ways out there because you're you're just trying to learn how to to produce something Mm -hmm. and when there's too many ways to do it it just you can get lost and it's just confusing and you don't know what what way to go or or what to do or what's right and what's going to work
0: yeah you really don't have like a a spidey sense of this feels right or this feels wrong they they all feel kind of equally valid even the wrong ways (laughs) at that point yeah you you feel
1: like you never know when you're going to step on a landmine because you don't know what's reputable and
0: it's certainly different now like when when you're working robin like when you're working on a an app You'll go down a path, and you'll start kind of getting this feeling like I'm doing something wrong here, right? Like that—that yeah. that kind of becomes again.
1: Yeah. The the spidey sense is a good word for
0: exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Harris, like this reaching for a library thing—is that kind of how you learned? Learned as well. You you kind of started
2: with libraries, uh, or did you start with really basic like low level language stuff? Like I remember when I was at uh, my boot camp, we did some basic low-level, low level low level stuff for like only like a week or two, then we dove right into it. So. Uh, started with Node.js JS Angular like the Mean Stack that was a big thing at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the yeah. It was a good marketing thing too. Learn the Mean Stack. It's like, <laughs> <then> it's like <laughs> no, I don't want to learn the Mean Stack. I want to learn the nice Stack,
1: <laughs> the kind
2: Stack. Yeah.
0: Kubernetes has to be part of the kind Stack. Yes, <laughs> yeah. That's,
2: so uh, we dove right into it, and to be honest with you, like there was a lot of times where, uh, especially in Angular 1.1 at the time. Uh, yeah. i was just doing stuff without really understanding what was going on uh two-way data binding like you know just a lot of copy pasting of code so uh, yeah. but it's it's mostly f- through the struggles of like importing code that i didn't really understand and then it's not working that i learned so i guess and if in a it's way, not
1: working and you don't understand it it can be yeah quite a difficult situation to get out of
2: oh yeah but that's that's how I, I think that's how most of my learnings at the time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> came just from like struggling through that. So, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Becca, when you went through the boot camp, did, did you find that the types of things that you were taught applied pretty directly to things you've had to do as a professional afterward? How much how much of it has been kind of directly applicable and how, how much of it has been like eh, that was that was kind of just learning to learn and not really giving me practical
3: Funny that you asked that. We're doing a panel with um, Collab Lab and Protégé.dev March 4th, I think. Uh, We'll have it on YouTube afterwards, but it's talking about that kind of exact thing, the issue with juniors in tech. And they had a really solid um, Rails and Ruby curriculum, and you can tell that Mm -hmm. a lot of love was put into that (laughs) by the person who did it. And then the front end (laughs) just felt very kind of rushed through and go do these things. And I think, you know, when we're thinking about like the practical tools and the things that you should learn, a lot of that stuff you just miss out on because a lot of it's like collaborating, communicating, asking questions, um, doing pull requests. And Um, Things like that. And there's not that much going on if you're working in a self-paced program because you're working mostly by yourself. And then you come out and someone's like, here's our code base. And you're like, wow, that's more files than I've ever seen in my life. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So it's, you know, like tackling those problems of how do I mm-hmm. communicate this? Should I be communicating this? That really, I think, took me a while to wrap my head around in order to, yeah. to be able to grow because I, I just wasn't sure, you know, where you should be at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, should in quotes, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the absolute most valuable things that my boot camp taught us is how to use git from the very beginning every single exercise we were doing we were partnered up and we were committing we were like using github we were we were sort of doing those hands-on practical skills that that have nothing to do with a technical stack or or a framework Uh, and those can be really overlooked but also really really crucial
0: yeah speaking of that I sort of feel like those of us in the industry have been in it for a while, probably refer to tools like you probably already know them. And you may not just start talking about, well, if you just throw together a, a, a pull request, or even just send me a patch, and I'll apply it to the to the history. It's like Greek, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's got to be kind of intimidating i'd I'd assume
3: my the first time i had to do a pull request for work i think it was maybe my third pull request ever Mm -hmm. it's like just you know you can submit a pull request and i'm like am i allowed to ask how to submit a pull request because i should know this right
0: that's a good question like if you're giving so a lot of juniors will probably be listening to this to this podcast if you're giving advice about that situation to you know years ago becca who's dealing with this what would you what would you say
3: I am 100% in favor of (laughs) Mm over-communicating. I think that you grow the most when you are able to do that. And there's certainly something to be said for looking for answers. Um, So definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, go down that road. But don't be afraid to ask questions because it just takes a while to get the feel for how to communicate in that situation. And once the more questions you ask, the easier it will be for you to get the feel of of you know what makes everybody comfortable and how this becomes a really productive and and happy working relationship. I would definitely say
1: take like take advantage of being a junior. I think yeah. I milked my junior status for as long as I could because you can you can get away with asking. Not that you shouldn't ask questions, like even as right. a senior, but as a junior, I I felt so much more comfortable being like I'm like I'm so new to this. Can like can you walk me through this really quick or like, ask all the questions. And you can also like, feel like you can be forgiven for all of your bugs, too, which is nice.
2: <laughs> that's good. But I, I do notice that a lot of uh, juniors, especially new boot camp grads, they have, Ooh. like, uh, a huge amount of imposter syndrome, which prevents mm-hmm. them from comfortably asking questions like that. So it's 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 good that you're able to do that. But actually, that's one thing I think uh, – you know, we should like help people with is, especially if they're junior, not, not to feel like imposters or they should know something and whatnot. Cause a lot yeah. of people just are afraid to, to ask that.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about imposter syndrome a bit. It's obviously like, well, first off, where does it come from? Like what, what, what exactly kind of causes people to feel like they don't belong?
3: It's funny that this came up because I'm doing a lightning talk and it's, in my talk. And so I like have my notes already up because I was working on it. Nice. The idea of imposter syndrome is feeling like a fraud and it's asking yourself those questions. It's not whether or not you um, are able to be here It is whether or not you're questioning, do you deserve this opportunity? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you deserve this treatment or promotion or acknowledgement, right? And so there's something, um, there's like fear that feeds into that. And I think for a lot of boot camp grads, especially who are career changers, there's a big shift in what you're doing. I went from leading a classroom and answering all the questions for 10 years To being Mm -hmm. that person that was the student who is now learning. So not only was it a shift in my role, it's a shift in my career. And so, you know, there's this whole, you know, wrapping your brain around it and this idea that that you have to achieve something and what achievement looks like and so I think you know reframing what that is achievement can be asking a question it doesn't have to be completing the issue then that can kind of um, change the way that we perceive imposter syndrome and get over it
0: yeah I love that yeah by the way, I feel like for every topic that we'll talk about Becca has some sort of upcoming panel or talk about. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> So this is great. It's going to be a wealth of knowledge. Hopefully we can get some links from you to put into the show notes. <laughs> but talking about that fear, I think that's a, a real thing that I've seen for sure, uh, certainly. Um, and there's it's kind of tied up a little bit in the sense of self-worth, self-worth as well. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is assign value in different places uh, rather than just, you know, like maybe where the junior feels like it should be, which is did I ship this perfect piece of code from heaven, you know, to production, uh, in zero time and with zero defects, it's more, I like, I, I like assigning value more to the curiosity part and to the perseverance part and to those types of things where it's more along the, about the journey and how you approach it than the, the actual result. Obviously the result matters and it, it eventually you need to get a result out there, but I know for myself the when I was learning, like, just having that curiosity and being able to kind of power through and and okay, I'm going to get through this. That uh, gave me a lot of confidence later that I could learn anything and I could do anything in the software space. Maybe some of it was even overconfidence for me because it was like if I could if I can figure this out with no internet, <laughs> then I could probably figure it out with internet type of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I think just shifting where that that value sense of self value comes from. Has an impact, yeah, for sure. So, what sort of misconceptions do juniors have often when they come into the software industry? I'm going to pick on Harris here. Like, what do you see from your instructing when you're instructing your boot camps? Do you see misconceptions that tend to come up more often? Do they tend to be more kind of individualized? What do you What do you see on that
2: end? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions. Uh, I, I probably won't be able to even name. Uh, Half of them. But yeah, <laughs> like, I, I think a lot of people coming into it, you know, especially at Concordia boot camps specifically, because it is tied to university, they tend in, in, in my case, and this is not a case for all boot camps, but but they tend to expect a traditional university experience. And they tend to expect maybe more like math and more, you know, uh, stuff like that, whereas like
1: algorithms and yeah. like,
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Hardcore like hacker like the hacker kind of code.
2: Exactly. Yeah, that's Where that's You're kinda... just like
1: writing a whole bunch of lines of code at, at one time and
2: <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's 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 kind of their expectation and then you know when they get into mm. it, um uh, you know, and they, they they realize that actually what we're really teaching them is uh how to ask the right questions, uh li- literally how to google. <laughs> like that's like part, yeah. part of the, uh, you know, I, I, like when I was teaching, I was used to say that in my lecture, lecture like, you know, uh, I want to improve your, you know, Google foo skills. Like that's, that's a big part mm-hmm. of why you're here. And, and even like when we, uh, you know, get on one-on-ones uh, and they have a question, I actually walk them through Googling it. So, and, and, and a lot of them don't expect that, that it's just like literally, you know, f- figuring out how to ask the right question. And then just trying stuff and it's much more practical than I guess they they would assume. So that's a big one. Also, a lot of people like maybe, and, and that maybe ties in with, with imposter syndrome, where, you know, in a boot camp, you, you're, you're, the goal is sort of to get you on your feet so that you can like be independent and learn on your own. So sometimes those expectations are not aligned with the students because the students come in and they think that, or or at least... Uh, they might feel that they have to learn an entire computer science degree in like 12 weeks. But actually, no, mm-hmm. that's not the case. Actually, the bootcamp is literally just to get you on your feet. And if mm-hmm. we can do that, and and from there, your learning can be... So, so the way I like to think about it is in a bootcamp, you you're in an environment where you can fail until it is no longer productive to fail, right? So once it is no longer productive to fail, that's where we step in. But it's an environment mm-hmm. where you're supposed to fail. And the goal is that when you leave the bootcamp, those uh, uh, intervals of failing are shorter so you don't get discouraged. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Uh,
1: going back to what you what you first said about sort of Googling and not needing to know everything, I think thinking that the, the more senior developers around you just know everything <laughs> yeah. is probably was definitely one of my biggest misconceptions. I kind of assumed that, you know, I was this junior that didn't know anything and everyone around me knew everything and never had to look up any syntax and never had to Google anything. And the fact that I was still needing to Google things and still needing to remember, like, oh, what's the syntax for this? That I was so far behind and would never, like, never be good at this, which is just not true. Like, all of the the best programmers I know, like, still look up, like, they reference the docs for syntax and they Google how to do things. That can definitely fuel imposter syndrome, especially at the beginning, because if you think that the place that you're trying to get is super unattainable, you'll always feel like you don't belong. But mm-hmm. every, like seniors will Google until the the day they retire. Like that's just, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's just yeah. how to program.
0: <laughs> it is, and I feel like that's one of the things that really what I got better at as. I progressed in my career was recognizing which of the links on Google were probably mm-hmm. going to yield fruit, rather than having to go from that's one, that's, two, three, it's four. That spidey yeah. sense. Yeah, there's there's that spidey sense, but it's not so much that we're not googling. Like it's nobody. You get better at googling,
1: but you're still googling. Right. You don't you don't have an totally. encyclopedia of programming knowledge in your head.
0: Right, and I mean, as you know, if you were to use the same, like I I, I know I mostly can get like the filter command or not the filter, the sort algorithm right on still like, a string. I still
1: can I have to look it up every time.
0: I've just done it so many times that that I've kind of memorized it. But even then, the other day, I, I reversed it. I got it backwards. And so it does happen. Uh, but it's not like, like, that's not even a big deal. Like, I don't need to memorize the sort algorithm. Exactly. That's an easy thing to Google. It's those aren't the things that trip you up. Like, often, the things that trip you up are... Like the, the Google-able stuff, you should just let Google remember it. That's your, that's your memory, <laughs> you know? And the rest of it, you're really learning the concepts and you're really learning, of course, the, the Spidey sense and, and other things like that. And that just comes with
2: experience. I guess, Becca, since you recently graduated from Flutter, mm-hmm. what, was, like, what, what misconceptions did you have going into boot camp?
3: Honestly, when I started boot camp, I hadn't even really committed to changing careers. I was like, you know, I'm going down this path. I like it. There's a good community here. So I'm just going to learn and see how it goes. So um, for me, it was more of a growing and learning opportunity. I think Probably by the time I graduated, it was, so my boot camp was self-paced and mm-hmm. I did it for a year. And so I worked on it a couple hours every day. I have four kids. I had a baby at that time um, and was going through some other stuff. And so by the end, it was very much like, I think the imposter syndrome set in because I, you know, people talk about being job ready and I'm like, there is no way I am job ready for anything. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you know, that's a big fear and my husband's a developer too. And so he was like, nobody feels ready, you know, just put it out there that you're looking for work. Mm. And I did. And, you know, I, I found the job and I was like, oh, well, <laughs> well now, now we're going to do this, right? <laughs> so, um, it's just very much an accidental journey into coding, I think.
0: And I like how Robin said, take advantage of being a junior for a while. Uh, it's a little bit of a reversed Psychology from what we normally think, which is like we have to pretend like we're seniors from the start. But just leaning into that and saying, you know, I'm in in this great sort of almost like a honeymoon period where I can just kind of soak up all the knowledge that I can. Honestly, though, I still feel like I can be that way, Uh, you know, to to this day. Maybe maybe because I have been in the industry for a while, but I love being able to say. What did you just do there? That's awesome. Like that, that's, that's, that's a cool thing. Show me what you just did. That's really cool. And one of the things that I love to see is Brian Stearns is the most accomplished and experienced programmer that I know actually. And he works at infinite red, which is awesome. He was actually on the show in a, in a recent episode, he is probably the first one to post in our Slack channels and say, Hey, I learned this new thing. You know, it's really cool. And he has this curiosity. He never stops asking questions. He has no problem asking the newest member of Infinite Red for the most basic questions, and yet he, like, wrote parts of the Macintosh operating system just about. you know like he's, <laughs> he's been involved in all this stuff for, for many, many years. But he, I guess seeing that example is really good. And also, my co-founder, Todd Worth, has always been the type to he loves asking the dumb question as CEO. In the question or in the, in the meeting, he loves asking the dumb questions. He'll just be like, stop. What, what does that word even mean? I don't even know what you're talking about. Like It's it's it, kind you, of an you know,
1: icebreaker because he's someone, is. he's someone who has a level of sort of clout and power. And so he doesn't feel like, oh, there's a boss watching me. Who's going to judge me for not knowing how to do my job. And so right. he kind of gives everyone else permission yeah. to ask those questions. And
0: the other day, Todd posted in Slack who has an hour to teach me what Flexbox is? Okay. So this is the guy. This is a guy that has 25 years of coding experience. He's done big projects in web. He's done big enterprise stuff. He's very accomplished. He hasn't coded for the last five years very, very often, so he's not up to speed on some things. But he was just like, hey, anybody, can you teach me some things about Flexbox? I guarantee that a lot of the juniors listening to this show know a lot more about Flexbox than... Todd does. They probably know more than I do. And because I, I I honestly, I focus more on the data side of things. I, (laughs) I tend not to be as front end focused. So there are things that we can learn from everybody and keeping that curiosity all the way throughout your career and putting value on that. Like I said before, having that, the the value that you derive as a developer is from your curiosity and your perseverance to get through these things. That's really what is important.
1: So maybe the advice shouldn't be milk your junior status. It's Act like you have junior status for your entire career. Like, don't ever let that go. I love it.
3: I think, too, part of the challenge for a lot of juniors is they get hired into companies that don't really want juniors. They just want Mm -hmm. somebody they could pay less. And so then Mm -hmm. they don't have the opportunities. And I hear such awful stories, firsthand stories of people in those situations. And I think, you know, when you're interviewing, that's why it's super important to ask about that, you know, How do you respond to questions? How many questions can I ask or something like that? And, you know, kind of tying into what you're saying about curiosity and asking these questions. I think some of my biggest learning moments came when I saw more senior people asking each other questions. And then it just like triggered this thing in my brain, like, oh, okay, you know, I can ask questions too because they're asking each other questions. And so, you know, also kind of asking that, you know, is this a company culture where we ask each other questions? How is that handled Um, can be a good indication of, of what kind of support you're going to get.
1: To that point, I think it can be extremely, extremely beneficial for companies uh, who have the ability to do so to explicitly invest in juniors by like putting out positions that are maybe internships or apprenticeships or specifically targeted at juniors, which sort of gives those more entry level people permission to be who they are. At the level that they're at, you're not trying to be a junior in a regular developer position. You're like the expectations are clear, like the companies knows what they're getting and is is explicitly in like, making an investment in a junior developer. That that was part of my boot camp program was it was built in. There was a, a month long internship at the end, which was so valuable because. I was able to be in the middle of a company like fixing real bugs and touching real code all the while knowing that they were not expecting me to be a full-fledged developer. And so there was this sort of safety where I could sort of learn and ask questions and know that they weren't like questioning whether like, should we have hired this person who doesn't really know how to do their job? Like there was mm-hmm. there was this level of safety. So I think companies who can it can be so, so important to open up that kind of specific junior opportunity. Uh, I think other industries, like not tech industries, do that so much better. Like if you think about like the the trades, like yeah. pipe fitting and plumbing and electric, like they they build that into your career path. Like you start out as an apprentice and like you learning from more experienced people is is part of that job. They're not expecting you to be an experienced electrician that they're like, they're giving you a job where you're a a junior essentially. Yeah. Uh, and I think tech, tech could definitely do a lot better making those opportunities explicit.
0: Yeah. So because they have an explicit word for that apprentice, the people that have already been through that, that you're learning from remember what they were like when they were an apprentice. So that is like, it's not like, okay, uh, they're comparing themselves to you comparing you to them now, they're comparing you to where they were as an apprentice as well. And so it becomes that, that explicitness is is something that there's a lot of value in for sure.
3: I think there's some issues with survivorship bias too, though. You know, I Mm -hmm. went through this, it was really hard for me and now you're going to have to go through this and it's going to be really hard for you. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just a different mindset because I think we can think about junior developers as apprentices Mm -hmm. because that's, kind of what's happening here um there's really needs to be a shift i think Mm
0: -hmm. so speaking from the employer side there's actually a fair amount of risk when you bring on a junior uh to your company if you have and i've had this happen before where you invest years of time into someone and just when they get good enough to like return on investment they get a huge offer somewhere else and they leave that's a tough problem because a company like infinite red can only really invest in juniors. If you feel like there's going to be some level of return, uh, you know, we can, we can do a lot to give back because, you know, there, there are a lot of things that the community has given us and stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have to pay our bills. And so there has to be some level of return on investment. And there are companies, there are so many, like, especially funded startups and stuff where they come back and they've got millions of dollars in funding. They don't have the same commitment to bringing on juniors. They don't have time for that because they need to get something out in eight months or else their window of opportunity is gone. And they just throw money around. It's great for the junior, which is awesome. But it it disincentivizes companies like Infinite Red that are long term from investing in in juniors because of the nature of our industry where you don't really have that in the electrical trade. You don't really have that in other places like that. The incentives are misaligned. It's a frustrating problem because I love teaching juniors it was how i started my business i had juniors and i taught them for years and most of them stuck around with me which was great but you know some have left as well and that's that's great but it there, there's yeah the, the misaligned incentives is a very frustrating problem
3: i think one of the things too that i've recognized fairly recently is that not everybody does have the capacity to take on juniors because of mm-hmm. the the need for mentorship and for time and for the ability to grow differently, but that's not the only way to support juniors either, right? Openly talking about it or, you know, like, Gant Laborde from Infinite Red comes to Virtual Coffee all the time, and Mm -hmm. I know that he supports a bunch of members there who are junior people. And that's great. You know, you have to um, give back in the ways that make sense, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, just like recognizing that there is an issue rather than, you know, it would certainly be a problem if a company said, you know, I want to support junior developers. We're going to bring them on. Because I'm, I'm supporting them, but you provide no support. You know, like yeah, there's, there's nothing yeah. in place to support them. Then it becomes even worse. So yeah. you know, recognizing limitations um, is really important, and recognizing there needs to be some type of mentorship and support that is explicitly stated um, yeah. is is really important to making sure that it is a positive experience.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely. Uh, I, I was actually thinking about that, and. and Bigger companies definitely have uh, an easier time welcoming juniors and supporting them, but when you're when you're a small company, uh, you know, like, so I completely understand what you're saying, Jimmy. When you're a small company, investing in a junior is is more expensive, right? Because, well, first of all, uh, you know, just timelines are often stricter, especially like startups. Like you said, when a startup gets funded, right, they have a specific amount of earning and even if they had like more time even and more money at, a, at the early stage of a startup right they 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 kind of have uh to prove themselves in these like very specific short-term milestones so they often have less time uh and and less willingness to take on uh extremely junior people because they just want to hire seniors and spend their money that way like you said throw, throw money around because that's like sort of because a startup is basically a, a sh- you know a shot in the dark um so yeah. so you just throw money at a problem and you hope that it sticks so
1: this is why uh this problem is less prevalent in like the trades and like manufacturing and whatnot because you don't you don't really have the same startup culture in those industries you're not you're recognizing that you're not going to you're not going to ship airplane component or whatever in 8 months because <laughs> it's it's such a different it's such a, a different medium than software which is like you can write some code and ship a website in a day like mm-hmm. and so you, you see that that potential for speed and investors take advantage of that. And that's how you end up with startup culture and, you know, move move fast, break things kind of.
2: Yeah, no, nobody says, let me give you a million dollars, build two floors of this building and I'll see if I'll keep funding you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it's a, it's,
1: it's a tough problem to solve because of the, yeah. the culture that's evolved in the tech
3: industry. An interesting experience that I had, my first time working a React Native contract was with a startup and the guy that I was working with, he was an engineering major at Stanford and was learning to code to create this app that they were working on. So I was new to it and he was new to it. And it was kind of an interesting and fascinating experience because we were almost like learning together and I had React experience, which he didn't. And so I was looking at things and I'm like, I'm, I wonder if he knows something about React Native that I don't know, because I would not have done it this way. <laughs> and so then I would like, ask him, like, hey, you know... You're doing it this way. And I, I would just love to understand your approach here because I wouldn't have thought to do it this way. And that, like, um, almost like leveling of the playing field was a really mm-hmm. great environment to learn in because we were learning together and the stakes were like kind of low where we were because we were just starting this new thing and building this thing out together. And I remember, you know, going back to the Flexbox thing, I'm not great at Flexbox either. And he, he gave me this component. I said it's probably going to take me a little bit longer because I'm not great at at this, so I got to relearn this. And he's like, Yeah, I'm really not good at it either. So you know it's you. (laughs) okay? (laughs) But it was, you know, just to be able to feel comfortable in that environment, I think just allowed me to experiment a little bit more and to deep dive into docs and things like that. Um, Because it, it it was definitely not a move fast and break things startup. So, you know, just recognizing good environments is super important.
0: Let's shift more toward React Native specifically since you brought it up Becca and we were supposed to be talking about React Native for uh for junior developers. I think we should pull it back into that. What specifically about React Native makes it more I I, th- I think it's fairly difficult for for new developers coming in in some ways. There are some ways that it's 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 kind of a nice inroad to programming, but but it's also difficult in some ways. So do any of you have ideas on on you know, what makes React Native more difficult? Or maybe you didn't have that experience when you were coming to it.
1: Uh, I think there's just a lot of moving pieces with React Native. Like, It's not just learning how to write the, the correct JavaScript to build a React Native app. It's like Xcode and... Android Studio and learning to work in a simulator and uh, all this sort of extra peripheral stuff that can make it a little more daunting.
3: I would say once, I totally agree with that. And once you get past that, for me, it was a little bit easier. And maybe it's because I had React experience, but um, also it's less, uh, I would say, conceptual maybe because here's a text component. I know what text is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's much yeah. clearer to me than what is a div and right. how to style these things. Like, okay, I know exactly what I'm I'm styling this container and <laughs> that mm-hmm. is in this view. And so yeah. the fact that I could look at the screen and understand how it translates from my code to the screen really allowed it to click a little bit faster for me. And so I think that... You know, if you had the opportunity, if you had to learn JavaScript and then someone said React Native or React, and then you had a fairly good grasp on the tools that you needed for those, that React Native, in my mind, is a little bit easier to pick up for those reasons.
1: I definitely agree with that. Um, In my mind, I I think we've talked about this on a different episode, but I almost wish that React Native had kind of come first and that React yeah. was built more like React Native and had yes. more of that abstraction of like text and view and, you know, image and text input rather than just using plain HTML. Obviously, it's it, it would be impractical to sort of change React at this point. But for that reason, I think React Native is a lot more straightforward to learn in terms of UI. And you're dealing with Flexbox, like React Native Flexbox, which... I find way simpler to use than like CSS because <laughs> CSS is a whole whole other world. And I found – because I, I I had always been terrible at CSS, but I I found myself learning how to, to style React Native s- screens and components much easier.
0: You, you also have a constrained scre- mm-hmm. screen size real estate. They, there are different sizes of screens for sure. And you can use React Native in different contexts, but mostly you're on a phone. And that does help quite a bit. It allows you to uh, you don't have to be thinking about quite as many layouts when you're when you're building something. I also find it really engaging and very kind of motivating to hold a piece of software in your hand, Mm -hmm. like just be able to touch it and move it and like, you know, interact with it with your fingers, where when you're doing something like back end, you know, database stuff, there's no such thing like mm-hmm. you, you have to derive it all from the screen and not not so much that physical tactile kind of uh,
2: feel
1: yeah i definitely agree with
2: that yeah me Go too ahead. there's almost more like a craftsmanship to it because if you pull like if you use your own app and it's buggy you almost feel like <laughs> you You almost feel like you uh you know <laughs> like you did this wrong or yeah i don't mm-hmm. know
0: yeah, and there's something really cool about being able to show your friends too. You pull out your phone, you're you're like hanging out, and you can pull out your phone and show them, "Hey, I built this app. Like this is cool," <laughs> and they're blown away because you know it's like, "Whoa, dude! You know you're you're basically Facebook now." <laughs> One of the quotes that I that I really like is actually I, I'm quoting my my business partner Todd. But he said, the difference between a hobbyist and a professional is a hobbyist can stop whenever anything gets too hard or uncomfortable. A professional is forced daily to get stuff done without regards to their comfort. Hmm. I like that because it's like when you're a hobbyist or you're learning, it's a little easier to just stop and just be like, this is too hard. I'm going to go play video games. But when you're a professional and people are waiting on you and relying on you, then you're forced to kind of grind through that. And so I think that's one of the big differences when a junior goes from learning to being on the job is that you are going to have to push the boundaries of your discomfort over and over and over. And, but that, that that's the only way to grow. That's the only way to kind of continually get better. And, you know, I'm learning Finnish right now and it's pushing me in ways that I haven't felt for a while. And but the thing is, every time I feel uncomfortable, I know that I'm learning. I know that I'm getting into territory where, like, okay, there are three new words that I learned. I mix them up all the time. I don't know which one me- means what. But over time, I get to the point where I, I learn what they are and, and can move to the next step. And I feel like de- development's no different. You're learning languages. You're learning syntax. You're learning concepts.
1: And it can be quite addicting once you uh, once you learn as a professional, you go through those hard days, that days where you want to like throw your computer at a wall, but you have to keep working on this feature that the client is expecting, and then you finally figure it out, and that like the high is so exhilarating when you finally, you finally get it to work, it finally compiles or whatever. Uh, it's what sort of keeps me going.
0: I love it. So I have two questions to kind of wrap things up here for each of you. First off, do you recommend going the boot camp? route to get into our industry? I'm going to start with Becca.
3: I have so many complicated feelings about this. This is <laughs> this is a hard question. Um, I think if you go the bootcamp route, definitely talk to people who have been part of that bootcamp before. If you are not interacting with teams of people, that's going to be a challenge for you. If you are not Looking at code bases that are bigger than 10 files, that's going to be a challenge for you. If there's no one there that you can ask questions for, that's going to be a challenge. And those are some of the hardest things I think that you have to learn. Um, So I would say finding good communities of people that are willing to learn together sometimes is a better investment than a boot camp because You don't have to spend all of the money on a boot camp. Um, You can have that situation where you're learning together and you're growing. And then there are many, many people out there who are willing to support and answer questions um, who, you know, could be mentors to you. It doesn't have to be an official mentor that meets you once a week or whatever, but just say, Hey, we're trying to do this and we want to get there. Is there anybody that we can ping for this? And I honestly think that that is a pretty good way to go and at least see if you want to commit to this fully.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That I've been asked that question a lot and I don't have a great answer because I'm not I haven't gone through it. So, I'm just going to point them to this episode from <laughs> now on. Robin, what is, what is your feedback on should you go to a boot camp?
1: I am a huge proponent of boot camps mostly because I like I can easily say that the boot camp I went to like changed my whole life. I think Becca's right, it has to be the right boot camp. There are bad boot camps and there are good ones. Mm-hmm. And definitely talking to people who have gone there and finding out what their stats are on job placement. Is really important finding out what their a what the what their curriculum is, but more importantly, how they teach their curriculum. Like with my boot camp, it was in person, and we were pair programming every single day with instructors roaming around the room. So it was it was very collaborative and not self directed. And I would say the most valuable piece of my boot camp personally was the internship placement. Uh, so look for things like that that will. That have tools at like specific tools and opportunities to get you into the real world and aren't just like a set of lessons on a particular tech stack. But yeah, I definitely am a proponent of boot camps.
0: And I have a feeling that I know Harris's answer, given that he's an instructor at a boot camp. But Harris, give us uh, your opinion on boot camps and whether they're a good way to get into the industry.
2: Yeah, but yeah, maybe you might be surprised by my answer, but I think. Uh, so I, I I agree with what Becca and Robin said, but I like that Robin brought up uh, placement rate. Um, the way I like to see it is don't even... The, the, so the most important metric for a bootcamp is job placement. Like that is the most important thing. And the way I like to think about it is like just ROI. How much money am I putting in and how likely am I to get placed and make that money back? So bootcamps are clearly expensive and overpriced, uh, but... If you can find a bootcamp with a high job placement, even if you're paying 20 grand or whatever, it doesn't matter because the ROI on that is positive at the end of the day, right? So hmm. it, it might be an expensive investment, but as long as the bootcamp, and, in, in, you know, like uh, Becca and Robin were saying, there's definitely bad bootcamps out there, but as long as you're in a good bootcamp that is very likely to place you, Actually, that's a really smart investment. You're 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 you know you're turning a dollar into two. You're, because as soon as you uh, get placed, you're gonna pay that off in in, in less than a year. And, and I don't think any university student can say that, right? <laughs> like when you go to university, you can't really say I've paid off my university debt in a year or two. Whereas a bootcamp, you can. <laughs> so, in, in, in I like to think yeah. about it in that way. And In that way, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah. Definitely look at placement rates
0: that brings up kind of a sub question to yeah. that question which is what do you all think of isas the income share agreements where oh that's a controversial. essentially the boot camp i know it's controversial <laughs> uh where the boot camp doesn't charge you something up front but once you are placed then they take a percentage of your income for a certain amount of time uh, when it first came out i i was like this is awesome because like you know you're not taking a risk then if you go back to your previous job you're not like You're not out any money, but I have heard some criticism of it since. So I was wondering if anybody had any nuanced opinions about it.
3: I'm just thinking, you know, one, it depends on your goals Two, It depends on whether you're reading the fine print because there's certainly Mm. predatory ways where that can happen. Mm. And they're certainly taking advantage of, um, groups of people who are more likely to attend boot camps. So, um, if you can, you know, do read those things and make sure that that's something that, you're okay with going into, um, but I know like you can't always understand exactly what that's going to look like, so it can be problematic for a number of reasons. But I also think too like it depends on what you are going to boot camp for. So if you are going to boot camp because you want to get a job coding to make stacks on stacks of money, then you definitely need to consider that. You know, like mm-hmm. how much money am I going to get? When am I going to get that job placement? But that doesn't have to be the only motivation for going to boot camp. It might be to learn. It might be to get into a different side of tech. And so I, I think that really looking at what your personal goals are and what your expectations are and how that affects the people around you is certainly important in making this entire decision.
0: That, that sounds like any senior engineer's answer when you ask them a question about something it depends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's true it's true it's very there's a lot of factors that go into this yeah yeah that that's that's an interesting one uh so my second question to you all final question here is once you have the education how do you get a job what are what are some tips to getting a job within the industry
3: i think you don't get it after you have the education, right? Like you have to start your networking really early on. And so I think for a lot of people that I talk to who ask me this question, well, I'm two weeks away from graduating. What would you suggest? Like, well, I suggest you go back six months or four months ago and you start talking about this and networking in ways that you can. Every job that I have found or that I have interviewed for, has come through social media in some capacity. I've not sent out applications and had a response that way. Um, And it's because I spent a lot of my time just documenting my journey into tech and because that allowed me to build some trusted relationships. And then I got references to certain companies or I got job offers. And so I think, you know, the number one way is to, is to network and know people. And when I say network, I mean have like relationships with people, not like, oh hey, I would like to use you for a job in the future, right? Like <laughs> you want to make sure that you're building something authentic.
1: Yeah, that's that's always the advice I got to uh like I I would say I my my path into the industry was very fortuitous and almost lucky just because I, my program placed me in an internship. I didn't have to seek it out. And then they hired me after that based on having seen what what I did during my internship period. And then from there, I had experience. And so it was a lot easier to get my job at Infinite Red. But what they told us from day one of the boot camp is network, even if you hate it. Most mm-hmm. people hate it. Network. Go to meetups. Meet people like form relationships that's how you get jobs like that's pretty much always the answer
2: i did want to add one last thing not specifically about this but it's about the isa agreement i just wanted to add that okay with an isa agreement you're pretty much always paying more so if you can avoid it avoid it Mm -hmm. because you're always going to pay more
0: (laughs) because you're you're kind of offloading the risk to to them and anytime you're offloading risk you're going to pay more exactly Uh, that's that's yeah definitely the case for myself i don't recall ever getting a job through just an application you created it your own like job I Damon. Knew someone that's true <laughs> <laughs> <my> own job. <laughs> as a junior just start your own consultancy that's the way to do it uh, it's easy that's a quick uh, way to learn <laughs> and 15 years later you're an overnight success uh but <laughs> no um totally i mean even my son he's 16 and and he was looking for a job and i told him if you put it, put in your application, you have no work experience. Like, you know, your grades are, I guess, pretty good, but I don't know what, you know, if they're going to be looking at that, you pretty much need to know someone in order to find, find a good job. And he got it. It's, it's fast food. So, you know, he's, it's his first job, but he his my cousin actually, who's quite a bit younger than me, closer to his age. Works there and put in a good word for him, and so he got a job there. It was like all about who you they, know. They hired him just about on the spot, so it was just like, yeah. I mean, that's that seems to be the the way to do it. And I will mention this is really really important. Becca has a great community for networking. is super safe, super encouraging. Uh, psychological safety is very big to it. She's an amazing community builder. Tell us about virtual coffee, Becca.
3: Yeah, sure. So virtual coffee started when I lost my job during the pandemic, and I just really felt that I needed community at that point because my kids were home from school. I was essentially interviewing for jobs for the first time because I had never interviewed for my first job. Um, It was more of a conversation. And so we were meeting once a week and then Jamin mentioned coming, but he lived on the West Coast. So I was like, okay, we'll do it twice a week and we'll add a Pacific time. So that was Jamin's fault. And then... Um, We started doing events because Gantt was like, hey, you get all of these same questions. Um, Why don't we do an interview event? So we run events and monthly challenges. We're doing lightning talks in brown bags. And I have to say, the only um, owner of Infinite Red who has not been there is Todd Wirth. So I'm just waiting for (laughs) Todd to come and seeing what new thing we need to add on to virtual coffee (laughs) next.
0: Todd, you you're hearing this. Uh, he's the editor of this podcast, so
3: <laughs> yeah. But the most thing, you know, important thing is that everybody respects each other, and we very much take a person first approach. Like you are a person when you come into this Zoom or to the Slack, and you know whatever experience you have after that is fantastic. But we value you as a human, and we value mentoring across the board at any stage.
0: I highly recommend this if you are someone who hates networking, who is uh, apprehensive about moving into a community, anything like that. This is the community for you, and the, I love the way that you describe it on your website, VirtualCoffee.io, which is an intimate community for all devs, optimized for you. I love that; it's fantastic. Thanks, Thanks so much for coming on our our program today, Becca. It's it's really great to have your experience in this and all of your perspective. Uh, Hopefully we can have you on again. I know there are actually quite a few things that we still have to say, which is always a good sign. Thanks, of course, to my co-hosts, Robin and Harris. And we can find Becca on Twitter at Becca, B-E-K-A-H-H-W.
3: Yes, that's right. So two H's there.
0: Two H's. Harris is Nomadic Spoon. Robin is Robin underscore Heinz with an E. And I am Jamin at Jamin Holmgren on Twitter interact with any of us there or on our show twitter react native rdio unfortunately we couldn't put the a in there just not enough characters but we do read all of the tweets we appreciate when people reach out to us and let us know that they are listening to the program what they think we
1: do love Uh, it i get a little dopamine hit every time someone (laughs) says they like the
0: podcast give robin her dopamine hit as always thanks to our producer and editor todd worth who's going to be Attending virtual coffee pretty soon. Our transcript and release coordinator Jed Bartoski. Our social media coordinator Missy Warren. Thanks to our sponsor Infinite Red. Check us out at infinite.red/reactnative. Special thanks to all of you listening today. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Tell a friend, especially if you have someone thinking about getting into the industry. This is the episode for you. Make sure you get this into their hands. Uh, a link. I would love to hear from them as well. If you're a junior, please reach out. See you all next time.
1: Bye. Bye.